0: Welcome to It's a Material World, the show that uncovers why material science will change the world, with your hosts, David Yeh and Punithu Padia. Before we get into the episode, we have a free MSE company database categorized by industry sector, location, as well as internship and full-time titles, so you can find that link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's get started. So uh, today's episode is focused on biomimicry and helicoid composites. So David and I are currently looking up other examples of biomimicry, and it's actually pretty fascinating. David, you you had a pretty cool one. You want to talk about it? I I recently just found an article are basically using a snake-like
1: skin to be able to crawl I'm, I'm not exactly sure the <laughs> applications of this, uh, but I think it's just pretty cool that looking at nature, we can try to replicate it into things and understand why And so in this article, they use different types of uh, like patterns of the snakeskin uh-huh. and it results in different methods of travel, like how fast and how much grip and things like that. And so it just like leads to further knowledge of like how we can actually uh, utilize this in the industry pretty cool
0: uh what have you found <laughs> well quick question then do, do, does it say like is it specifically the patterns of the snake skin or is it like a similar material as well does it say it in whatever article you're looking at It seems like it's just
1: uh, particularly in like uh, uh, geometric patterns, uh, like circles, uh, prisms, and then like rhombuses. Interesting. And different uh, methods of travel. So potentially like tires or other things could use this uh, knowledge to get better grip would be my first idea. But
0: yeah, you were saying robots, right? The first thing that came to mind was like a Mars rover. Maybe if it's like more efficient in terms of just how it crosses terrain. So I was around on Mars. It's just like wiggling. wiggle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if it's more efficient, they'll, they'll do it. What did you find? Yeah, I found uh, bullet trains inspired by Kingfisher birds. So in Japan, daunting task of, you know, creating these high speed bullet trains. And so what I'm seeing here is as trains enter tunnels, vehicles would create like a loud shockwave, known as a tunnel boom and so the power of those shock waves would sometimes even cause like damage to tunnels and so i guess it says here the design team the root cause was the the blunt front nose cap of the train and so to minimize the tunnel boom um, and increase kind of the aerodynamics of it all they modeled it's after the beak of the Kingfisher bird. And so I guess it says here they have, Kingfisher birds have specialized beaks, allowing them to dive into water to hunt while making a, a minimal splash. And so they modeled it after the Kingfisher bird's beak and the the next train, was 10% faster and consumed 15% less electricity. So, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it, it says here in, in this article, it's a digitaltrends.com article. So, full credit to them. They said, most importantly, no more boom. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fascinating seeing all of the potential biomimicry examples and how to convert them into engineering. I saw shark skin, but David. Called that lame. So, like, what we won't talk about. It. <laughs> I don't think it's lame.
1: I just think it's uh, the one that's most common and you always think about. It. So, I want to give the listener something new.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, one thing that's super fascinating in, in this episode is the mantis shrimp. They have some internal architecture um, that resembles like a helicoid structure. So, you'll have to tune into to the episode to kind of learn about how that structure is found in nature and and how that converts to kind of potential applications in EVs and even uh, hockey sticks. So really fascinating stuff. What was your favorite part, David, that you think everyone should listen to or look forward to?
1: Yeah. So I think a big trend in recent industry is the simplification of parts. And so Tesla made the Gigapress turning like 168 unique into two frames that get pressed together to make one final car. And so when we talk about added manufacturing and other ways of simplifying these parts, one thing that we don't think about is how does crack propagation work? And so now if one part gets ruined, instead of replacing just a really small part, you have to replace the entire car. And so our guess goes into how helicoids can help uh, reduce this. And it's very interesting overall and kind of shifts the perspective of like, oh, like I thought this was great with no d- downsides but now uh, we bring up new issues that we've created by trying to solve old issues. And so you have to listen to see uh, the solutions to that and what we can do to allow the benefits to shine through without all these negative impacts.
0: Right. And how that's found in nature, right? It's just like things repairing itself and, and getting tougher and not being like brittle and catastrophic failure. So I really found that part fascinating too. And I thought also just the incorporation of additive manufacturing to reduce waste by as much as possible was really interesting, as well as like the hockey application. So we saw how this helicoid structure is often compared to carbon fiber used in similar applications. So um, stick around to learn more about the various applications of this structure and even i think uh, lorenzo had really good advice at the end which is worth tuning into so yeah let's get right into the episode
1: we are excited to welcome today's guest dr lorenzo mencatelli director of research and development at helicoid industries Lorenzo is an expert in composite innovation and R&D project management, with extensive experience in enabling research engagement between industry and academia. While obtaining his PhD at Imperial College London, Lorenzo developed disruptive bio-inspired design strategies for highly damaged, tolerant
0: composites. Thank you for joining us today, Lorenzo.
2: Thank you for having me here today.
0: Cool. So uh, before we kind of dive into the helicoid technology, let's first discuss how you ended up at this company uh, helicoid industries so the traditional route is you know applying online networking and, and applying for a job but helicoid industries actually reached out to you with an opportunity which is very unique so how did that job opportunity come to fruition
2: yes exactly that's uh that's quite a an, a nice story actually so as as you know, I've been doing my PhD on on spine microstructures and looking at way of improving advanced composite materials. And uh, part of this work was focusing, in fact, on on helicoid technology, which is the core technology of helicoid industries. So I published journals; my my name was out there, ready for the industry to be picked up, <laughs> and uh, and make a good use of the technology. But the technology itself has been known and researched by many universities and, and, and groups all around the globe. And uh, basically, the former president of the, of the Licoid Industries uh, was also a former executive manager of a, of a company that I used to collaborate with during my PhD. So they got to know about, uh, you know, this piece of research being done at Imperial College London. So they engaged with us. And at the beginning, we, we did some Consultancy job for the for helicoid industries, and eventually, you know, the challenge of uh, commercializing bioinspired technology. It's uh, it's it's quite exciting. Um, it's something quite new to the to the composite industry. So I decided to to join and uh, and take part to this uh, adventure. That's awesome.
0: So, what got you passionate about this space as a whole, like bioinspired technology and and helicoid structures specifically?
2: So it's the way we approach as uh, as engineer or material scientist, composite materials in a completely different way, kind of leaving behind uh, uh, the the old, well, the the common rhetoric and, and way of the designing composite structure, which is mainly looking at uh, uh, designing for, for stiffness and strength, and rather looking at uh, what you can do beyond designing the structures and actually designing the material itself, and the way you architect the microstructure of the material to improve performance of, this, uh, of these materials. And by bi- biomimicry is, uh, is a very effective tool to, to do that. So that, that's what uh, excited me about, uh, you know, looking at biomimicry and composite materials.
1: That's great background around like how you got into the space, but now maybe can we dive into what a helicoid structure is and where you can actually find it in nature?
2: yes so helicoid type of microstructure is actually one of the most abundant uh, microstructure that you can find in nature you can find it in several wood type of uh, architectures as well as in uh, several exoskeletons and protective equipment of uh, crustaceans and and other animals for instance in the we can find it in the lobster in the scarabay cuticles and also in the mantis shrimp which is the kind of uh, mascot of helicoid uh, industries where the shrimp is, uh, is, is actually one of the most uh, aggressive animals in nature. And uh, it uses its, uh, its adductive club. So it's a club that it deploys to strike prey it feeds on. And the club reaches speeds um, equal to a, to a bullet type of speed. Wow. Um, and it manages to crack shells, which are considered to be quite tough themselves. So basically, this club needs to be highly impact resistant, sustain multiple impact, and never incur into catastrophic failure. And if you look inside the club, what you will see is that in fact, this is a fiber reinforced composite. So it's composed by um, unidirectional layers of uh, aligned fibers, which are slightly rotated one to respect to each other. So basically you end up with this helicoidal type of layup sequence where you have a a very smooth transition in fiber orientation as you build up your, your laminated structure. And again, this is a, a type of microstructure that can be found in, in several different, uh, animals and organisms. and the way it's actually able to, to achieve very high impact performance is, uh, the way it's able to dissipate energy and activate specific failure mechanisms. So, you know, that in a fiber reinforced material, the load bearing component, it's, it's carried by the fibers and the resin transfers that load across the fibers, so. The ideal scenario in an impact event or in an event that could damage your composite is that you do not damage the fibers and you rather dissipate energy through uh, matrix failure. And this is exactly what these helicoidal architecture do. So basically you have uh, this uh, highly torturous and complex failure pattern where you tend to break matrix but leave fibers undamaged. And this allows you to dissipate huge amount of energy but at the same time preserve the structural integrity and load bearing capability of, uh, of the, uh, of the composite.
0: So I'm just looking at a picture of the helicoid structure right now. And it reminds me of like a spiral staircase. And so I guess my question then is like, how did you see that structure in nature? Like, what does that research look like? And then how are you able to connect the dots and be like, okay, we could use this in potential industry applications.
2: This is actually a, a key step in, uh, in utilizing biomimicry, which is uh, it should never be a, a copy paste of what we observe in nature, but it's really all down to understanding the, the structure and function relationship in, in for a specific feature in the biological microstructure, and then understand how you can get those principles, those relations, and uh, apply them in, in engineering context. So in this case was... Uh, what does a smoother you know change in fiber orientation provides uh, compared to what is conventionally done in, in industry which is using a very large interply angle like plus minus 45 plus minus 60 and so on and um, what you find out if you then you know apply your uh, analytical tool numerical tool and the design tool that uh, i use conventionally in in industry you will realize that you're able to reduce a lot the interlaminar stresses in your structure that are the major causes for uh, the lamination damage, which is critical for composite materials. And uh, you are able once damage activates to control that fracture and to steer it in this very complex and stable fracture pattern, which is a big jump, uh, let's say in, uh, in a performance that you do over conventional composite structures that tend to fail catastrophically and you have complete lack of control over how damage in fact evolves and the diffusing these structures.
1: So as you're talking about like this stress evolution of like a fracture pattern that we know, it sounds like you are preferentially letting the matrix fracture before the fibers. And so maybe in practice and also in nature, are you able to repair the matrix? Uh, And then what would that look like if we can repair the matrix over and over again? Does the stress evolution change as we like, try to build it back up.
2: That's uh, exactly one of the inherent features of uh, of illicoid technology that we are trying to, you know, to exploit in industries, this self-healing capability. Because indeed, if you are using a, a matrix that is reprocessable, like a thermoplastic matrix, or even an healing agent, right? So a thermoplastic particles dispersed into a thermoset resin, then indeed you are able to completely recover the, the damage because you are able to delay the occurrence of fiber failure. And hence you can, recover damage. We have done trials at the, um, at lab level for, you know, using carbon fiber materials as well as glass fiber material. And in fact, we are able to recover properties and, uh, and, and damage within the structure. Wow.
0: So can you then talk us through what like the processing of helicoid composites looks like? It seems like a complex structure, but I'm wondering what are the challenges and maybe the complexities that come with manufacturing these composites?
2: Yes. So let's say that uh, this, uh, as, a, as a historic period, this is a good time to deploy the technology in, uh, in industry. And the reason is we have the help of uh, additive manufacturing, for instance, that allows us to contain the cost of uh, selecting several different fiber orientations instead of only a few. So that could have been a challenge in the past, but uh, it's no more a challenge. If you're looking at uh, uh, automated fiber placement or tape layering or tailor fiber placement, uh, continuous printing of uh, fiber-enforced composites. So there is a huge amount of technologies that enable a cost-effective implementation of uh, of illicoid technology into into products. So that is a challenge that we uh, are able to overcome. Then uh, the other challenge that uh, kind of narrows down the, the range of applications where we can provide benefit is, of course, the uh, number of layers that we have available to build up the helicoid structures. Because if you're looking at very thin composite structures that only uses four layers, that, of course, there is no uh, room to get the benefit of helicoid structures unless you move to uh, thinner materials. But that brings all kinds of uh, cost increases (laughs) uh, associated with it. So it's usually not the, um, the optimal way forward. So the, the the other limitation would be having enough layers available, which is around 10, depending on the application, to build up the helicoidal architecture. Now that we've kind of dived into what a
1: helicoid structure is and the properties and benefits, uh, now we can start talking about some applications. And so one application that is of my interest is in the battery industry. So. Could you explain how your technology could protect battery packs in electric vehicles, and the benefits of using a helicoid structure versus another structure?
2: Yes, sure. So, in electric vehicles, this is an area where, in fact, we are quite uh, quite active, and we have uh, a few developments in there. It's the the uh, underbody protection of the vehicle needs to be uh, needs to meet two main requirements from the mechanical standpoint. The first one, it has to uh, be stiff. So that if it receives an impact to the battery, the the underbody doesn't deflect much to crush on the battery pack, but also needs to be impact resistant. So if you have an impact, uh, uh, it doesn't have to pierce through, right? So for instance, an ideal material could be for stiffness requirements could be carbon fiber, right? But carbon fiber becomes, it's as a a big problem, which is brittleness. So impact performance actually would be very low hence by applying a liquid, you would be able to maintain a very high strength and stiffness provided by the carbon fiber but at the same time you would be able to improve the impact performance so that would allow you to end up with the underbody protection which is safe but also lighter because by improving performance you can decrease the overall weight of the underbody protection if carbon fiber uh, might be too expensive especially for high volume applications and you're using a glass fiber solution on the underbody of the of the battery pack, then we can also improve performance uh, with glass fiber. Again, helicoid is a, is a fiber architecture, right? So it doesn't depend. Uh, well, you can apply on uh, using different constituents, namely fiber and resin. So we can use it also with, uh, with glass fiber material. And the last bit that maybe I want to touch base on is uh, the possibility of introducing more sustainable materials into this uh, high-performance application. For instance, uh, we are able to improve performance also of natural fiber composite, and uh, that usually you would not use in a a component as critical as the underbody protection of a V battery pack. But by improving performance through helicoid, you would be able to make a more extensive use of this material, which decreases the overall uh, carbon footprint of your end solution.
1: And so when we talk about battery packs, your helicoid seems like a really good protection solution. But another issue that battery packs undergo is that for if for whatever reason that a battery does break and catches on fire, now battery manufacturers are trying to make like flame retardant parts of their battery pack. Could helicoids either have some sort of like fire resistant properties or could additives be added into the matrix uh, that could help these uh, problems?
2: Yes, that's exactly. So you could add the, uh additive in the matrix. You could use a matrix that is uh, fireproof. You could use a protective barrier on the inner side of the battery pack that is uh, the underbody protection that is fireproof. And you can actually integrate all sorts of uh, multifunctionality on the underbody. If you want strain sensing, if you want uh, some sort of uh, uh, conductivity, electrical conductivity, it's all beats that you can integrate because again, uh, we are just orienting fibers differently, Uh, but you can use any type of fiber or coating on the fibers or additive to the matrix that you want to achieve specific multifunctional properties.
0: Interesting. And so I know you already talked through the structure and the mechanism, but I was wondering if you could maybe dive into what that looks like in this specific application with the battery packs. So you mentioned the impact resistance, right? So can you just kind of like help me visualize if there is some sort of impact to these helicoid structures in an in electric vehicle application, what does that mechanism
2: look like? So basically, all the, well, that, that energy that is received by the uh, underbody protection would be contained within the, the laminate, so the the actual underbody part. So you wouldn't have any fiber splittering at the backside, which is the inner side uh, of your underbody part that could damage the, the actual battery pack and uh, you would prevent any high energy impact, uh, impactor to actually pierce through the laminate. While if you have a conventional uh, lamination sequences, it's very likely that uh, uh, an impactor you know, with enough energy could pierce through that battery pack and then damage your, your batteries. The other thing is also on, on the other way around, let's suppose you have a, you have a thermal runaway of the battery pack which it's not necessarily related to uh you know a mechanical or, or impact event and uh, then what you want to do is to contain uh, they can be quite explosive right you, you know probably better than me <laughs> and uh, what, what you want to do then is really contain that explosion or contain the five the, the fire and delay at least as much as possible that that explosion propagates to the rest of the vehicle right so that is also something that would be improved by our architecture compared to a conventional uh, architecture.
1: And so when we think of the helicoid structure, like Puni said, it's like a spiral staircase. In the matrix, are all the helicoids aligned in the same direction? And so is it is it a, basically a one directional impact resistance or is there bi directional, or is the uh, helicoids all rotationally like random to the point where the impact toughness is the same in any direction that you hit it?
2: So I would say that uh, the uh, if for an impact event, usually the most critical mm-hmm. condition. Is uh, an impact normal to the um, to the surface, right? If you have it at an angle, you have a, you know the, the the critical component is the component perpendicular to the um, to the impact surface in in a flat laminated structure at least. So every uh, you know design that we that we do is uh, calibrated and uh, performed against this worst case scenario. Gotcha. So, if we are able to prove that, then all the rest should come as uh, as proven as well.
0: So, are we implementing this structure like right now, or like how how far are we away from seeing these structures, this uh, technology in like an electric vehicle in the future?
2: So, we are uh, currently having an internal evaluation with a with a major tier one supplier for for automotive. So, um, hopefully, everything goes well. And <laughs> and uh it, that that would imply uh seeing it uh, i would say in a matter of uh year wow so that, that type of uh, range so
0: that's awesome yeah congratulations I, i'm saying we but it, it's really <laughs> you, So <laughs> yeah congratulations and i guess then we can dive into another application then um which is like sporting goods so you know, here in Minnesota, hockey is very popular, and so you've mentioned in a previous call there's potential applications there. How could helicoid materials improve the performance of, say, like hockey equipment, like hockey stick or maybe even a helmet?
2: Yes, it's a similar, if you want, uh, scenario that uh, uh, that you have uh, for for the EV underbody protection, in the sense that you want to have a um, at, um, a structure that is highly tailored for stiffness right for playability purposes in this case but at the same time you want to guarantee that you know especially ice hockey sticks it's a, it's a very harsh sport right yeah. so yeah. Uh, players tend to break their sticks quite quite often so you want to have a, a very good damage resistance and damage tolerance of those of those sticks what we are uh, looking at the moment is both at uh, uh, implementing it in the in the blade of the hockey sticks as well as in the shaft And uh, that is also, you know, two areas where we are doing uh, advanced development, already performed uh, in-field playability test uh, to see how the technology responds.
1: And so we actually did another episode a while ago on sports innovation. And one example was that we made uh, golf drivers out of single grain like metal. and so basically the frequency it, it transferred energy very efficiently. and so we were hitting the ball farther. and so it was banned. If we have more impact resistant, let's say sticks or other equipment, Is that mainly just for protection and like longevity or do you also see a performance increase now that it's a completely new type of material uh, matrix?
2: So I would say that the, the big performance increase would be, you are using compared to a a metallic structure. You're using a material, which is uh, way lighter, right? Mm -hmm. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you need to make your golf shaft uh, lighter overall, but it means that you can position the weight in a more, much more tailored way, so uh, and customize that tool to to that specific customer, or um, and make sure that you know you have much more uh, freedom of design for for that structure. Uh, while if you're using a, a big chunk of metal right in that has to be in that specific location because that's where the driver face is, then you don't have the opportunity to balance out your your shaft in a in a different way, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Okay. So. I just looked it up and I saw that hockey sticks, like right now, are they're made of like layers of carbon fiber. And it seems to be a theme that maybe like very related product in, in uh, these applications is carbon fiber. Do you see that in continuing to be maybe like a competitor or just like a, a comparison in, for helicoid applications in the future? And how do they compare in terms of performance?
2: yeah so uh in uh for, for sporting goods application we are uh, mostly doing developments We using carbon fiber materials so definitely that is uh and basically what we do is uh, to take uh, a solution that is currently made with carbon fiber usually and uh have a look at the reference layup that is currently being used in that application and then we suggest an alternative helicoid layup that would potentially improve performance so We are already working with uh, mainly with carbon fiber in sporting goods, also some applications using glass fiber and uh, natural fiber as well. And uh, yes, we will continue to do so, I believe for quite a while. (laughs) Nice.
0: So what are like the main materials related challenges that your company or, or this industry maybe as a whole is facing, is, is it like processing related? Is it more like just adoption of this new technology and being able to communicate its performance to investors or partners?
2: Yes, with the, let's say that with the biomimicry in, and bio solution in general, the main challenge is usually the, the cost and scalability of implementing the technology. So relatively easy to address that in for sporting goods application, much more complex if you want to go to a high volume, highly cost sensitive industry, such as automotive, for instance. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in this context, actually, helicoid uh, is, uh, is quite an exception because most of the bio-inspired uh, material solution that you find around, they tend to develop in a hierarchical way from the nanoscale up to the macroscale. So if you really want to reproduce or the same benefit that you observe on the biological microstructure, you would need to be able to recreate that, that entire hierarchy, right? And that is that becomes a huge, almost impossible challenge uh, even nowadays for uh, scalability purposes. With helicoid, we are already at, uh, at the mesoscale, so the laminate level architecture so let's say that we kind of have jumped a bit uh, the 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 biggest obstacle which is tailoring the uh, at the microstructure and the, and the nano level and that allows us to also address markets such as automotive where we can uh, therefore provide a solution that is cost competitive
1: And so when you bring up cost, uh, Helicoid is actually doing something else, and at least looking into it, where you would use additive manufacturing to make it more cost competitive. Could you go into how additive manufacturing could reduce the cost while maintaining these properties?
2: So additive manufacturing would, would reduce the cost in the sense that uh, it would allow us to produce a liquid component with uh, virtually zero waste. And uh, that is the main cost improvement that uh, that it provides. And uh, then what helicoid would do is uh, trying to reduce the number of, of layers that you eventually use in your structure to decrease the structural weight. So eventually you have the cost advantage of uh, zero scrap. You have the cost advantage of using less raw material overall because you are reducing the, the structural weight of your component. And you have the cost advantage also of uh, increasing the rate of manufacturing because you are depositioning less material so you are doing it faster and which can increase the output of of your machine.
1: And so I I don't think laminates are specifically like a novel field. Like I believe there's lots of like manufacturing around it. So how would creating a laminate be different from doing additive manufacturing?
2: Well, so historically uh, laminates were done by hand. And nowadays with additive manufacturing, it's just that instead of having uh, somebody laying down the fibers, you have a, a machine, right? A robotic arm basically just placing down the fibers. Then, depending on the specific applications you might, and, and the, the raw material you start with, whether it is a is pre-impregnated material that has already the resin in it, or whether it is uh, a dry fibers, uh, whether you are building up an axisymmetric component, uh, then you have all different types of uh, additive manufacturing related to uh, fiber-reinforced composites. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I've actually had some experience with laminate material. And so common issues arise around basically manufacturing quality and embedded stresses, such as not letting it thermally relax and other just internal stresses in like the polymer matrix. With additive manufacturing, does that resolve some of these issues as now you're being very deliberate in how you apply your matrix or how are these uh, challenges overcome in this new method of manufacturing?
2: So I wouldn't say you are able to resolve the problem in the sense that uh, with additive manufacturing, and there is a huge amount of uh, research, both done at industry and academic level in this area, to trying to characterize the uh, manufacturing effects that are generated during additive manufacturing for fiber-reinforced composites. and. Um, kind of create a link between processing parameters that you use to program your machine and the effect that you get at the end in your in your structure to be able to control those so th- that is definitely something that you are not solving with additive manufacturing in some cases you are making it worse actually <laughs> in the sense that uh, imagine that you need to cover up a certain area and uh, if you do it by end lay up and cutting materials from a, from a very big role you just, uh, you know, cut a uniform sheet of material that that covers completely that area. With additive manufacturing, you will have to lay down in smaller pieces, materials. And when you go to one strip to the next one, you might have some overlaps. You might leave some gaps between the strips and all those are sort of defects that we introduce in the, in the structure. So in those cases, you would make them worse. That's fascinating.
0: So you mentioned that Helicoid Industries is now at like the mesoscale. Can you talk through what were your biggest learnings going from you know that that very small scale nanoscale up to where you are at now?
2: So let's say that the the, the biggest uh, learning and and also challenge is um, trying to understand how we can actually take everything that you can learn from from the natural microstructure and uh, embed in that learning also the engineering constraints that you find in in actual products because that those constraints often rule out uh, most of your uh, you know design space <laughs> and uh, and you you are only able to work in a very constrained design space which is good because it stimulates also you know problem solving and innovations on on how to further develop the technology which is basically what has led us to increase the ip portfolio of the company from where it started, which was you know the, the pure staircase constant step helicoid layup. but when you start putting in all these uh, engineering constraints, then you realize that realize it, that microstructure is almost impossible. So you start thinking how then you can improve still an actual product by using the same type of knowledge and learning. And I think that's the the most interesting and, and fascinating challenge so far.
0: That kind of leads into something that you discussed in a previous call, which which sounded crazy, but you know, you're able to use biomimicry to potentially exploit pre-existing damage in materials to actually make them tougher and stronger. So can you explain how in nature materials have accomplished this and maybe how in en- in an engineering application that could be achieved?
2: Yeah, so uh, this is uh, it's quite interesting because as as human and engineers we try to tend to a different type of perfection than what nature tends to, and for us perfection is trying to make as everything as homogeneous as possible. If you have a you know fiber reinforced composite, you want the fiber to be as straight as possible with no misalignment, with no porosity, no defect whatsoever, and this is what what we do. And uh, by doing that, what you what you create is you increase stiffness and strength, but you are really also in brittle, you embrittle your materials and you make them very prone to damage. In nature, you try to do something in, in a different way, because nature has to work with very cheap and low performance constituents. And hence you find in nature that structures are not symmetric, you find there is a lot of porosity, And uh, you also realize by investigating this microstructure that all these defects actually helps with activating some of the failure mechanisms that have discussed earlier during the call to achieve this uh, performance improvement. For instance, one typical example is the cortical bone or bamboo microstructure, which are very similar in the sense that they are formed by bundles of fibers that developed uh, at different hierarchical levels. And uh, by insert, in so there is a, a weak link in, in this microstructure, which is the interface between the bundle of fibers and the, and the, the surrounding uh, material. And what happens when you pull these structures in tension is that you activate that link. So before reaching the fiber failure, uh, the weak link fails, and which means that these bundles debond and creates a very large surface area where they can then be pulled out and dissipate a huge amount of energy during that pull out process. And this allows to have a very stable load increase rather than a very sharp drop once you reach the the failure load for the fiber themselves. And this in, in industry, it's, well, it's been kind of accepted with metals. Because back in the days, you know, if you had uh, a crack in your cylinder of your engine, what you would do is just drill a hole at the tip of the crack to blunt that crack tip mm-hmm. that would stop the crack. And you are introducing a defect, right? To create a crack stopper. And this will have to, to come back at some point, especially if we look at, uh, for instance, a blossoming market like uh, uh, urban mobility. Uh, where you have this um, you know, small aircraft uh, that needs to be certified for flight but at the same time they need to cost uh, as much as a car so that, that you need you have uh, you have a big challenge and um, to achieve the you know the high rate manufacturing and uh, and cost to produce these vehicles these aircraft because they are aircraft manufacturers they would want to create structures that are as much integrated as possible in basically just one piece, right? While at the moment you have a lot of subassemblies and uh, pieces that you put together in assembly to to deliver the structure. So the problem then becomes: what if you have a damage in this one-piece structure? You don't have anything to stop that. While if you have an assembly, you know you have a damage in a panel of your wing the the damage reaches the edge of the panel the crack would stop so at this point then having the biomimicry to help us with designing the materials to create a crack stopper crack arrest mechanisms really would uh, would help to deliver indeed and allows these structures to be produced and, and fly
1: uh, that's very interesting i know that a lot of companies are like you're saying moving to like added manufacturing or even like uh, more advanced casting methods to reduce the complexity of parts. And so I never thought about that issue is that, yeah, if I need to replace a part of my car now, I have to replace like half the car. And so <laughs> I can see where this is going to be very important in the near future. Yeah. Well, we have discussed a lot today about biomimicry, helicoid structures and composite materials. If you had one final piece of advice for engineers who want to learn more about biomimicry and apply it to solve problems, what would it be?
2: So um, I would say, first of all, trying to be very curious about it and try to look at, dive into the the biological aspect of it. Ideally, you would always want to have an opinion from a biologist when you you try to apply (laughs) biomimicry to a concept, and uh, again, the, the 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 piece of advice that for me was uh, was really important is uh, biomimicry can can lend itself very easily to just being a marketing story because it's exciting, it's cool, and uh, you don't want to do that because otherwise the you know the the idea itself would lose credibility over time. So it's it's really trying to use it as a, as an extra toolbox to help you solve your problem without using solutions that are offered off the shelves, which is usually what engineers, including myself, tends to do to to solve their problem. So it's trying to to think things uh, differently.
1: So what advice, because it's very common in industry and other places for people to find a cool application. uh, And so, for example, find a cool biological system and try to create a like a actual like product before a problem arises like you said making sure that it's like one of the last things to bring out the toolbots. how can you through your experience give us any advice on how to know when to bring in new techniques and new things where you're not forcing it beyond what we already have.
2: I think one good support, well, uh, first of all, adding, you know, awareness, increasing awareness on the, on the, on, on biomimicry and the fact that there is a tool there that can be used to, to help you with solving your problem is really important. The other important aspect for people who are not yet in, into the, into the subject, into the field is to, have a sort of, you know, database of solutions that are already out there to to have access to and and stimulate your creativity. And um, likely we have a a cluster that collects, you know, bio-inspired solutions for different uh, industries, not just materials or composite, but also for architecture, uh, medical devices and so on. Uh, One in the US is the Biomimicry Institute uh, in the UK, there is Biomimicry UK, an innovation lab, and um, you know, referring to the to these um, institutions would really help to connect with the with the network of experts and right people to refer to in case uh, you want to have a, a project that implements biomimicry to to solve your problems. I love that.
0: Yeah, it shows the importance of leveraging others' expertise to kind of yeah. push the frontiers of research. But yeah this was a a wonderful episode thank you so much lorenzo for for joining us today that was very interesting to learn about the helicoid structure and its potential application
2: yeah it was great for me too thank you for the invitation
0: as a materials engineer we can make an impact in nearly every single industry but with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus
2: career-related resources. I hope to see you there.